Welcome. This is Cascade Church Portland's podcast. We exist to invite all people to join us as we follow Jesus together in bringing heaven to earth. Good morning, good morning. That's like your second. Oh, hey there, back row. I... I'm really excited to be with you this morning. My name is Sarah. If I haven't met you, I normally hang out with our kids and our students because they listen better. I tell you guys that regularly. Like, they are really on it when they listen. But um, I'm really excited to be with you. Instead, we are wrapping up the numbers series officially. This is it. This is the last day. I don't know how many weeks have we actually... How many weeks has it been? Where's Kurt? How many weeks? Okay. A lot. A lot of weeks is how long we've been here. So it feels good to finish it with you. Um, I want to preface this morning. We're, um, if you've been with us last week, you will notice that this week we are jumping to Numbers 35, which is a big jump. And we're talking about the cities of refuge, which when I originally chose what I was going to speak on when I looked at Kurt's list, I was like, oh, cities of refuge, that sounds nice. It's kind of been a hard summer. Like I had a surgery. We're like, I don't know, refuge, that sounds good. Like I'd like to do that. And then I started looking at what I had signed up for. And I was like, hey, Kurt, they did not teach me this in seminary. Like, I don't know if you learned about this, but I have not learned about this. And I don't know it's actually like a real Bible passage. And so it felt like a little struggle bus. And then I was like, we're back. We're good. We can do this. So um, it's going to feel maybe a little bit out of place. Me too. That's how I felt as well. Um, And I just want to let you know, we're talking about safety and specifically safety in regards to church. Now, I know when we start talking about safety that that can be a really triggering experience or a topic. And so I just want to own it and ask you, will you go on the journey with me this morning? Like, will you, will you go there with me and knowing that maybe I will say something wrong or say something triggering? And I would love to have that conversation and be able to properly apologize later. Does that make sense? I'm not perfect. I'm not going to do this perfectly, but I think it's important. And I want to talk about it and talk about it as honestly as I can. So that's my hope this morning. Uh, Before we get started, so um, I read Cities of Refuge, and I was like, where do I find safety? And I went on this long struggle of like, okay, where's places I feel really, really safe? And I came back to that I feel safe when I'm in water or near water. So um, context, I'm from Phoenix, Arizona. I was born there, and it is really, really hot. I think it's like 100 and something right now. My sister lives down. I don't know. It was like 105, whatever. It hasn't been that bad, but um, it's warm for us Oregon types, and when it rains in Arizona, like I have memories of going outside and dancing in the rain. Like I was so excited that it was raining, and there's this really specific smell. Um, We had it like a couple weeks ago after it rained on like a Saturday or something. Like it's really distinct, but in Arizona it smells even better because it's like desert and in different. It's a different place and different smell. So I have really early memories of it raining and us going and dancing and being just so overwhelmed by the excitement of water right? And then I remember um, that there would be like frogs or toads. I don't know which one it was now, to be honest. I'm going to tell you they're like this big, but I remember frogs would come out and we would be at school and I went to San Marcos Elementary and we would go and catch the frogs, which I also think that probably my sister caught them and I watched because I don't really like touching animals. I don't understand. So um, that's probably the real fact of it. I remember being there, seeing them and it being all associated with water, 
right? And then I like fast forward and I remember um, going, we went to a family cabin that was near Sedona, would be the name that most of you know. And there would be this little creek and we would play with like these poo sticks, right? And like, I remember all these water memories, like we're able to like jump around. We called it poo sticks. I don't know what it really is. It's because of Winnie the Pooh. You guys, it's not poop. Come on. Goodness gracious. Kids know what it is. <laughs> All right, so we played with poo sticks where you drop them in and then you see, right, whose wins. Mine never won. I don't think it really did. But point being, water. Water in places of safety, right? Now, um, my husband and I, we live in Milwaukee and we live like 10 minutes away from the, uh, from the Willamette, right? And it is one of the best things in the whole entire world because we can paddleboard a place where there's something bigger me than me, right? There's this place of rest, um, which we have a few paddleboard pictures from when the middle school and high schoolers went through. Classic, here we go. Right, that's like what's not supposed to happen when you paddleboard. But this is a paddleboard, right? It's a big surfboard and you're basically paddling with your uh, little oars or whatever you've got out there. So um, paddleboarding, experiences of water, right? Kayaking, being on a boat, those are places that I find rest. I find peace. Those are places that I feel like I know myself really truly. I think those are places that I've had really, really hard days or weeks or things that didn't make sense. And then I would be on the water and like things kind of started to make sense again. Something bigger than myself. And so I want to take you to those moments of experiences of what do we identify as being safe? Right? Refuge is defined as a condition of being safe or sheltered from pursuit, danger, or trouble. And so my question before we start, and I'm going to ask that you would tell someone next to you, like, what's a place that you find safety? What's your water experience? Right? Where's that place? So I'm going to give you truly one minute. If you don't like verbally processing whatsoever, you can just keep quiet and ignore the person next to you. Uh, but would you share really quick, what's a place that you find safety? All right, so hopefully you've shared or can think of a place that you felt safe. And my request is we're going to talk about a lot of things that are wrong with the system here through the next few minutes. And my hope is that we get to go back to that place at the end of it. So my hope is that if you find a triggering experience in our conversation, you're able to go to that safe spot. And at the end, we're going to ask kind of a challenge around that place, my hope is. So um, we're going to go ahead. If you will open up your Bibles or look at the screen, we are going into Numbers 35, Cities of Refuge. We're doing it. And before we jump on in, I wanted you to have a concept of um, what we're talking about because it's going to just like kind of take off. And you're like, I don't really remember who these people are or what we've been doing. So context on the Old Testament in my one-minute 
variation of it. Um, we're going to talk about the Levites here. If you so recall, we're going to look at this. Look at this lovely chart. So we've got Abraham, Hagar also, and Sarah, my personal favorite. And um, we will remember that Abraham's the one that's given the blessing. And then they have child, right? We've got Ishmael and Isaac. Isaac's the one I want you to focus on. Isaac's the one um, that is the product of having a child a lot older than anticipated, right? So then he's married to Rebecca. They have two kids, Jacob and Esau. Jacob's the one that's good in the kitchen, as the story goes. And Esau is the hairy one with red hair. That's my personal favorite. Um, and as you can remember, Jacob steals the blessing from Esau. And there's drama, drama, drama. Then we go, Jacob has 12 children, right? Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. The music comes out of this family story. Um, and so Joseph's maybe one of the more famous brothers. That's where we get our 12 tribes from. The 12 tribes are represented as they are talking about wandering through the desert, which is going to be happening in the stories of numbers, right? So if you remember, Kurt and Scott did that first message about what's numbers all about? Well, numbers is not necessarily about numbers, right? It's actually about a people that are wandering through the desert. It's another telling of that story. And specifically, we're going to focus the next few minutes on the Levites, which is Brother Levi right there. That's who we're talking about. So the Levites, who were they, right? Who's the most famous Levite that we can think of? We know that Moses's brother, Aaron, he was a Levite, right? Which meant that he was in the temple grounds or the temple area. So we think of that as like the priestly type of like that section of the tribe, right? And the best way I know how to explain kind of these tribes and how this would have looked like is um, through the caste system in India. Han and I went to India a couple years ago. And when Han and I were in India, we um, met with someone that was a puppet maker, right? So in the caste system, if I'm a puppet maker, I'm born probably into that um, career of choice, right? And then I'm going to live in a specific area and it's going to be hard for me to jump around the caste system, right? Similar thing here. If I'm born into the Levites, I'm probably going to be working in the temple grounds. I would live in a really specific area. All those things are designated for me before I really even have a say on that. Does that make sense? And so what I think is most remarkable about the Levites is when I've heard my entire life that they were the ones that like work in the churches or the temple grounds or whatever, I imagine them be like the guys with like the cool robes and stuff. Like that's my, what I see when people say that. But what I didn't think about was that the Levites also would have been the people that are playing the music. They're in the, like, in the grounds. They're the guards. There's many different roles that we're talking about within the Levites. But they are specifically designated to the temple at grounds, right? And not just them. You don't just imagine, uh, like random male and female there. They also have their kids. Like this is where their families are being raised, right? So when we're talking about murderers going to the place where your family system is set up, I feel like these are like my social workers, right? Like this is a very interesting, unique group of people that are the Levites, right? So that's kind of our who. Who we're talking about is the Levites. So I'm going to have a start from verse six, and then we're going to go from there. So six of the towns you give the Levites will be cities of refuge to which a person who has killed someone may flee. In addition, give them 42 other towns. In all, you must give the Levites 48 towns together with their pasture lands. The towns you give the Levites from the, tri from the land the Israelites possess are to be given in proportion to the inheritance of each tribe. Take many towns from a tribe that has many, but few from one that has few. So we know our who. 
right? We know who we're talking about now with the Levites, and we know what their role is and within this people group. We kind of now we're going to move into like, what are the cities of refuge? We know that there's defined spaces. Historians can see that they were actually six specific cities that were designated. And leading into those cities, their roads were supposed to be significantly wider so that you could easily get onto that road and get into the city. So we're going to talk about murderers and their role within getting into the cities of refuge. But what I want you to know is that it was easy to get to these cities, and it was also easy to get out. And that was intentional. The intentional part of that was that it was supposed to be, if you commit a crime, you can easily get into the space that you're supposed to be. Does that make sense? So we're going to kind of move forward with a legal system then. So then the Lord says to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, When you cross the Jordan into Canaan, select some towns to be your cities of refuge to which a person who has killed someone accidentally may flee. They will be places of refuge from the avenger so that anyone accused of murder may not die before they stand trial before the assembly. These six towns you give will be your cities of refuge. Give three on the side of the Jordan and three in Canaan as cities of refuge. These six towns... Oh, these six that anyone, these six towns will be a place of refuge for Israelites and for foreigners residing among them so that anyone who has killed another accidentally can flee there. That's my favorite part. Accidentally, you can go there as well. So kind of this is the next piece of it. So we know that our cities of refuge were specifically for people who had killed someone. And basically the next large chunk of passages throughout this like little piece is going to be defining what murder is and what murder is not. And what strikes me when I read this is that God cared enough to define a legal system, right? That like actually really blows me away. Um, I like to sometimes have like my God box and then I like to have like my life and politics box, right? And I like to have like my everyday box. And what is amazing to me is that in this, we're talking about a God who is fair, right? There's a system to that fairness, And so it makes me start asking questions like, why did the people who have been traveling for 40 years in the desert, why do they suddenly need legal systems? Like, I've never thought about that. Were people being killed in the desert? Like, we know the golden calf is happening, right? We've got a lot of like little incidents along the way, but are there things happening that we don't see, right? Are people being murdered? Are they all of a sudden trying to figure out what to do if you are murdered? Was there not crisis? Was this a people group that was being incredibly persecuted and all of a sudden they're coming out and they're having crisis? What's happening behind the scenes that we can't answer that all of a sudden there needs to be a legal system in place? So from there, what happens is basically we see a definition of what is or isn't murder. So you're going to see things talked about like an iron object, if it's a fatal blow, right? If the murderer does this or that. that and if you want to skim it, go for it. It's all you. I was going to read it to you, and then I thought I might fall asleep. So we're going to just keep going, you know? <laughs> so the important things that I would want you to know from that piece is, number one, that if you murder someone, you're supposed to stay within the cities of refuge. You're supposed to get to these cities, these six designated cities, and you're supposed to find safety there. When you get there, this is supposed to be a place where you get a fair trial. It's supposed to be a place where you have to um, have witnesses in order to be put on trial, and you're not allowed to accept ransoms. I don't know if any of those things sound familiar to you, but I was reading that and thinking, yes, these are all great standards, right? 
it kind of like shattered my God box a little bit. I'm like, oh God, you're smarter than I thought this time. Man, you really nailed it, right? And I think that's the point though. I think it's this place of intersection where we see God, a system being in place, and then a story of a people of Israelites and their journey, right? When I coincide those three, that becomes really complex for me. I'm like, ooh, what do we do with this? So if we had to review, if you walked away from reading this passage and you were like, I need to know my who, what, when, where, and then kind of the final piece is my why. So who, we know the Levites and we know their role within the temple. And then we also know that we've got this other piece of murderers and what their role is within a community and a city. And then we've got our what, what happens when you murder? How do we put someone on trial? It seems to need to be defined for a specific reason. We've got our where. We know that the Israelites are coming out of um, being in the desert and they're moving towards the promised land, right? And the Levites have just been told specifically where they're going to live, their system that's going to be existing around them and how that's going to work. Um, let's see, did we forget who, what, when, where? And then our why, right? Our final piece is our why. So I read this, I don't know about you, I read this and I think, yeah, that's great. That's great for the Israelites. Isn't that interesting, huh? And when I actually think about why does this matter in 28 or does it matter in 28, I think there's kind of two pieces of it, right? I think the first piece that really matters about this passage is that I think we see historically a tie between the church and a place that's supposed to be considered safe, right? And I don't know about you, but I've watched the church in the last couple of years, and I more regularly sit with people who say, I've had really unsafe experiences in church, or maybe I thought that this was justice, and someone else thought this was political, and I don't know how to communicate with that person through that issue. Does that make sense? I think so often, one person in their background sees it one way, another person has a different experience, they see it a really different way, and then we get put into a room together, and we're trying to figure it out and negotiate it, and for someone, it becomes unsafe, right? For someone, it becomes really painful, right? And I think that was amazing when I read this was I was reminded, but there's a historical background in church supposed to being safe, right? It's supposed to be the refuge cities. Like it's supposed to be a concept of a place where a murderer can come hang out with a person working in the temple and it's supposed to work. It's supposed to merge in some way. And I was so challenged this week. Like what are we supposed to do with that? What does that mean for those of us that maybe we've had really hard experiences, right? What, what, how do we even do that? And we know historically, if we look through it, right, we can start listing the things the church has done bad, right? Like, I will be the first one to tell you that. Like, I can look at Martin Luther King and the civil rights movement and him being a pastor and an activist and him asking other churches, come with me, come with me, come with me. This is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. And how many churches didn't come, right? How many people turned a blind eye? So many. Or I think about the apartheid, right? I studied in South Africa when I went to Azusa Pacific. And we were there, and my professor, he was a Baptist pastor, a white Afrikaans man. And so he's teaching us about the apartheid, which is a fascinating experience because he is one of the pastors that through the apartheid is basically saying being racist is okay. And now he's the one teaching us and saying it's not okay, we messed up, and I don't know how to repair this right? He was like the mouthpiece of like this terrible thing and his role in the church and how he actively was part of the problem, 
Like, we can just list thing after thing after thing. Bring up issues. Like, I just think we can say, like, the church didn't really nail it, but maybe eventually we got there, right? And we can see that theme through churches. And so if we know that church has not always nailed it, if we know that church has been behind, I guess my question back is, does that make church a safe place? And what do we do with the historical relevance that says church was supposed to be or was intended or could have been somewhere safer? So I want to take you back to that safe place we talked about at the beginning. Right? I want to go back to our refuge, our safe spots. So a couple weeks ago, um, some of our friends, we were, we were in our little rafts, and we were going down uh, the Clackamas River. So we were doing like the Barton to Carver float, right? If you floated it, I don't know. But it's a little chaotic in the summertime. And so we were going, and um, everyone else had like normal rafts that make sense, like the kind that you should be taking on the river. But we had um, this unicorn named Sparkles that I sometimes called Sprinkles because I like both names and can't quite decide to be honest. Um, And this is Sparkle Sprinkle. And um, so we had this at summer camp. And so it's in my garage because we don't really have storage. And so Sparkles was like my raft of choice because it's way more fun to take a unicorn down the river than anything else. And so uh, we were all kind of connected to one another with our little ropes. And we were moving along and it was nice and fun. And I was feeling all my good feelings, like safe and warm. And it's just a great day. And then um, Katie, which everyone knows Katie by her smile. She's here. So um, Katie like lines us up. And she's like, oh, Sarah, we need to get position ourselves to go down these rapids. And so Katie and Trevor and Zach, they're standing up and like moving themselves because they were kind of getting dragged along the rocks. But because mine's really more of a pool toy than a raft toy, I was happily above it and did not have to move. And so I was getting kind of dragged into position by my nice friends. And all of a sudden, I, um, I'm kind of, I was just like laying there thinking about things. And all of a sudden, I realized that uh, sprinkles, sparkles had really taken off. And the unicorn and I were going down the rapid really quickly and everybody was still up top. And I had, because we were all connected, all the boats had come with me, right? All of a sudden I was like, oh, this is really bad. And so I jump out kind of mid rapid, like you do when you're not thinking. And um, I had a hip surgery in April, a labral tear, not a hip replacement, unlike some may think. So um, why add that to the story? So when I jumped out into the rapid, I was like, oh, we'll be good. I'm just going to stop mid rapid and like save the day with all the boats. So I'm standing there and the water had gotten really deep pretty fast. And so like all the water, it felt like it was kind of pushing on my hips. And I realized I am not strong enough to do this right now. And so I happily belly flop back into sparkles and think this is really bad. So meanwhile, I'm looking back and I see Katie who's like on a mission and she's like scrambling through trying to get down to me. Like Trevor has fallen and is like completely (laughs) going down the rapid. And Zach and him are trying to get into the same boat together. It was like a hot mess. This is Trevor and Zach. They are not small humans, right? So like them together in a little raft. It didn't go well, right? So um, basically what happened is I had to jump out and I'm like trying to swim to shore. And eventually they get down to us. But I'm thinking we cannot go down this river. Like I'm going to go by myself with these floaty toys and I don't know how anyone's going to find me or how I'm going to get home because I don't think I even had the keys to the car. And so I was like, oh, this is bad, real bad. So why I share that is there will be times, I think, where our safe place gets really unsafe. 
right? Like all of a sudden my relaxing river flow became very stressful and a little bit chaotic. And I think there are moments where we have to jump out of our boat and we think that it's a good idea and it's not. And then we get back in the boat and then we go through this weird process. We're like, oh, I'm going to swim to the side. And then I'm like trying to hold it, right? There are these weird processes we have in our safe and unsafe places. And I think they can switch on and off sometimes very quickly. Sometimes I think it takes many, many years, right? But in that story, there's this moment where I I have this clear memory of me looking behind me and seeing Katie and me thinking, gosh, I want to wait for you, but also could you go a little quicker? Because I would really use some help down here with these little floaty toys right now. Right? I think that's what church is. I really do. I think that there's this level of times where safe may not become safe, right? There are going to be issues and things, and I pray and I hope And I wish that I could say that we won't be that thing, but I know we will, right? I know that places of power, that there are really hard systems, and I make mistakes. Kurt makes mistakes. It's just inevitable, right? But I think that in church, if we've chosen to be a part of it in that season, right, I think we get this moment where we get to choose when things get crazy, when we're not sure we can stay in the boat any longer, right? Or there are issues that maybe one person is downstream, and some of us are back here, and I think what we choose in church is we say, I'll, I'll wait for you. Or I'll do, can we do this together? Can we find a way to get there together? I know you think this, and I know I think this, and this is maybe justice-oriented, and this is maybe too political, but can we have the conversation as kindly and safely as possible to get to a different point? Because I think that's the challenge of church. Right, Cascade, our theme is safe to be, safe to grow. Our, like, that's our mission statement. And I think safe to be is safe to show up, right? I think safe to be is like, I'm safe to get into my sparkles floaty toy and I'm safe to be there, right? And safe to grow, I think is kind of the trickier piece of it. Safe to grow takes interaction. Safe to grow means that maybe you'll offend me, maybe I'll offend you. Safe to grow means that like the water might get crazy and it might get turbulent, but I still want to get there somehow. And maybe I'll leave for a while but I want to be in this in some form, some fashion. So what would I want you to know from the cities of refuge? What do I want you to know about numbers? What would I want you to know ending a crazy book? Right? I'd want you to know, number one, I think that there's a theme of historical wanting and desiring safety and church. And so when some of us want that feeling, want that expression in church, I think that that's a natural desire. Does that make sense? I think that there is a place that we see that in the story. And on the flip side, I think some of us have had crazy hard experiences, me included, where I looked at a system or a situation in a church and I said, I don't know that it's worth it. I feel incredibly unsafe. I feel like if I have to talk to another male pastor who makes another weird sexual remark to me, I will like throw them through the door, like truly. Or like, I feel like there have been experiences for me specifically in churches, we were talking about this morning, where I had to decide what it looked like to stay, right? And it doesn't mean you have to stay. That's not the point of the story. I think our own journey is our journey. But I think this desire for safety, it's a true desire. It's a good thing. I want to validate that desire. And then I want to validate that historically we see that. And then I want to own that we don't know how to do it, right? We don't know how to do it at all. 
And so we try to do it and then we mess up or we try a different way and then we mess up. Or maybe this church has a great kids program and so they're doing it well, but maybe this church does it better in their justice or their advocacy teams or whatever. And I think that's what makes it so complicated. So this week, would you go to your place where you find safety? So for me, that's somewhere on the water. Like, would you go to that place and would you be in that spot and would you think about, what do I feel when I'm here? Do I feel like it's peaceful? Do I feel like the people I'm with are amazing? Do I feel like I just need this time and this space? Whatever that is, will you hold on to that feeling? Those smells, all the things. And then would you think about what does it look like to bring that feeling wherever you want to be, whatever communities you want to be a part of, and maybe Cascade is one of them. So when we say safe to be, you go there. And when I safe to grow, that piece of it, we say, I don't know what that looks like, but I know how to be safe. I know what that piece of it is. Can you own it for yourself? Not just critique a system, not just say what's wrong with it all, but say, I know safety. I know it, and I can provide it for myself. I'm going to pray for us. Lord, I'm grateful for the people in this space, in this room. I'm grateful for the places that we have identified as safe and the, um, all the things that are there, the smells, the laughter. Lord, I pray that we continue to seek after safe spaces, boundaried spaces, places that we know uh, we can be truly who we are. God, we love you. In your name, amen. Thank you, Sarah.